0: 7.43 p.m.
1: Hey, listen, this is Aaron again. Um, I know I just called and left that message, and the last thing I said was I love you guys, but it actually didn't mean, like, I love you guys. It meant I love your show, and I just wanted to clarify that. All right, thanks a lot.
0: Received at one o one p.m.
1: Uh, hi, Ian and Mike. Uh, I love your show, and I am having trouble cutting corn in my kitchen without Uh, Getting it everywhere, it always falls on the floor and into small, uh, hard to like scoop out places. Uh, So, if you have any tips on how to cut corn in a neat fashion, they'd be much appreciated. Thank you.
2: So, yeah, you want uh, an easy way to get the corn off the cob? It just so happens that Ben Mims from Sever Magazine
3: has a tip. Okay, Ben. So I know we need a bunt pan and a knife. Then what do we do?
1: So you take a, a corn cob. And you uh, place the widest end, the butt end of it, um, on top of the bunt pan, the center tube, the bunt pan. Uh-huh. And this keeps it from, you know, rolling around or falling all over the place. And then you hold it at the top, and then you just use your uh, chef knife to kind of cut down the side of the corn cob and the kernels. Will just fall right into the bunt pan below it in the tunnel. So then you have all the kernels right there, ready to go, and you don't have to, you know, scrape them off the cutting board or fetch after them. You know, when they go flying all over the place.
2: So the bunt pan makes both a uh, cob stand and a kernel receptacle. All Pretty right. much. Huh. Well, it's good because I have a bunt pan. And I've never made a bunt cake. And so it's really, up to this point, <laughs> it's just kind of taking up space.
1: That's the thing. You know, there should be no uh, one-function tools in your kitchen. And so most people think a bunt pan can only be use one thing, but it, you know, definitely has a double life. All right. Thanks, Ben. No, well, thank you, guys.
3: This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, we'll tell you how
2: IKEA names its furniture. And we'll tell you how to play a sport you probably don't want to play. Why not? We'll do, we're doing that later.
3: And we'll answer a non how to question.
2: But first, uh, we're going to start by listening to this penalty call from a preseason NFL game between the Atlanta Falcons and the Baltimore Ravens. Again, the teams Atlanta and Baltimore.
4: That the player was out of bounds, his left foot was on the sideline. Arizona would be now charged a timeout. three. And uh, neither will Atlanta be charged the timeout.
3: They'll be happy here in Arizona that their first half three timeouts are still intact, but they are disappointed to find out here in Atlanta. They're nervous. I'm telling you. Oh, nervous. You
4: can hear it in his voice. Bless his heart. Yeah, I know.
3: So that was one of the NFL's replacement refs uh, getting the name of the team wrong. The regular referees for the NFL are in a lockout, and they're using Division Two and Division Three college refs.
2: Yeah, and these guys are getting a a lot of uh, criticism for the job they're doing. But it's it's a really hard job to be an NFL referee.
3: So we thought we would call up a veteran ref and maybe get some tips. Jerry Austin is on the line with us now.
2: Jerry, I I think for me the hardest thing would be paying attention, concentrating on making the call rather than getting carried away, just kind of watching the game. How do you do that?
4: Well, those are the people that are successful and make it to the NFL that – They have the ability to concentrate at approximately a seven-second burst for 175 plays, and you're concentrating on your keys and your mechanics, and you're not a spectator on the field. People who become spectators on the field don't last very long.
2: Did you ever early on in your career have a moment where you found yourself getting caught up in the game?
4: Um I, I would say in my high school career and uh, early college career, that was true, but as I gained more experience, um, I was just out there with my mind on the job that I had to do, watching the people that I should be watching.
3: I imagine that as a ref, like once you get the, you've gotten the rules down and you kind of you feel comfortable down there, you still have to deal with these coaches some of whom look like they're just relishing the opportunity to just yell at you and let you have it. How do you, how do you deal with that?
4: Well, say a coach wants to talk to you. Now, the guys that are on the sideline, they have to deal with the coaches all the time. And what you try to do is give that coach the opportunity to vent. If he is, uh, have a, has a built-up emotion and he wants to get it out, you're going to give him that chance to to get that out. Give him 10 or 15 seconds to vent. And then you're going to say, Coach, what's the question you got? And he, he's going to tell you, <laughs> that pass interference you guys called is the worst pass interference call I have ever seen. I can't believe you made that call. And a good official will say, well, coach, if it happened the way you say it happened, then we missed the call.
2: How, how often would you say uh, that a coach told you that it was the worst call he'd ever seen? How, how many games out of 10 did, did that happen?
4: Maybe once a year. Oh,
3: okay. Wow. Because I would just assume that every call would be the worst call ever made.
4: Now uh, I'll I tell you, coaches in the NFL, they're concentrating on their job, and if if they've got a disagreement with a call that's been made or has not been made, they're going to voice it. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and that's when the camera zooms in, and you see the anger and the irritation on the on the coach's face, and and he, you can tell that he's hollering, but he gets it out, and then he goes back to his job.
2: I think, I mean, thinking about the players too, these are, you know, kind of by design, the most intimidating physical figures that that I can think of. Did you ever get nervous about, you know, one of them confronting you after making a call?
4: I wasn't smart enough to get nervous. (laughs) You know, player holler at you, that guy's holding me. I can remember Bruce Smith hollering at me, that guy's holding me on every play. And I turned and I looked at Bruce. I said, Bruce. If you don't want to be held, there's not a blocker in this league that can hold you, because you'll run right through them. People like him and Reggie White, they just they just run right through somebody. So you just talk back to them. I
3: I was reading uh, recently a story from from one official talking about uh, his relationships with players, and he talked about uh, Walter Payton, and he was unpiling a, a pile of players. And he looked down, and Walter Payton, I guess, was known for pl- pulling pranks, was untying the official's shoe.
4: Oh, yes. Yeah, Sweetness did that all the time. If you got your foot too close to where you were marking the spot, when the play's over, you'd see your shoe's untied. <laughs> Is- he, he would do things like that. He was one one great individual and, uh, and so much talent, so much talent.
2: I I'm often so amazed at at the calls uh, you guys are able to make, and and I wonder after the game if you know if you see a, a fellow ref that you do you talk trash about a bad call to another ref?
4: Uh, I have to admit that probably happens sometimes.
3: <laughs> do your skills as an NFL official do they also translate to other areas of your life? Being able to kind of take that kind of abuse. From people,
4: I think as a school administrator and dealing with parents, sometimes uh, I think that experience was beneficial. You you learn to deal uh, with people that are emotional level. Uh, Understanding that you know the first before you can ever have a good conversation, that emotional level's got to come down. Then you can have a reasonable conversation, whether it's ballplayers or parents of school children.
3: Did you ever bring a whistle to a school meeting?
4: No, but I took a flag to a meeting once. Did you have to use it? Oh, it wouldn't matter whether I had to use it. I was going to use it. (laughs) Uh, Threw the flag, broke everything up, and the tension that we had in that meeting went away.
3: Well, Jerry Austin, thank you so much for your time today.
4: Hey, I enjoyed it very much.
3: Now, uh, before this next
2: segment, I'd like to take a moment to apologize in advance to our listener, Carrie, who, with good reason, has complained that we've done some disgusting segments lately. Like what? Well, I think the, uh, the earwax thing. That was pretty gross. Yeah, and uh, so we're going to do one more, and, and this is it.
3: The Wisconsin Cow Chip Throwing Championships were held last weekend.
2: That's a sport. Uh, where you throw cow chips,
3: which are cow poop,
2: they, they they are cow poop.
3: And Kevin Tressler is this year's champion. So we thought we'd get a quick uh, how-to on how to throw a cow chip.
2: Kevin, first of all, how does it feel
3: to be champion?
1: I don't know. It's kind of honestly funny to me and my whole family because I've like never done this before. So I always watch it.
3: So wait, you've never thrown chip before? No. Wow. So what do you? Th- how- You're a natural.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I play. I figured I play disc golf. I mean, that could have helped, but I don't know.
3: So
2: yeah, I I gotta admit I I didn't know there was a cow chip throwing competition until uh, very recently. Can you tell me uh, how how it works?
1: They just have a huge like kind of trailer of just like all a whole bunch of cow chips, and uh, you can't like break up the cow chip. You can't like modify it at all. I guess.
2: So the it, it sounds like the first thing you do is, is you select uh, the the best possible chip.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just I guess the, you don't want to have a huge, like, the smaller ones are better because they go farther. Like, if you get exactly, like, six, six inches in diameter, it's probably the best chip.
2: So... So once you get once you get a select the chips and and you're throwing, tell us is it like a like a discus? Do you spin around and and launch it? How's that How's that work?
1: No, it's so you can just get a running start and throw it as hard as you can, but you definitely you just throw it. Kind of want to throw it overhand for sure because you can't throw it like a regular like throwing frisbee. you else it's not going to go like it's not going to go very far.
2: And and so how far was your winning throw? Uh,
1: two hundred eleven point three feet.
2: Wow! is there a big crowd there watching that you need to worry about hitting yeah there's
1: yeah like some people get hit by it but I mean it's not no concussion or anything but you definitely have to like make sure you throw it away like down the middle away from the crowd
2: I mean concussion or not getting
3: hit with cow poop that that can't be a good thing
1: no not at all
3: how many throws do you, you get from one chip usually
1: like reusing the chip yeah, do
3: you just get the one throw?
1: You get two throws. You pick two chips and you get two throws and they pick the farthest your farthest throw is the one that counts.
3: And then that but that cow chip it breaks probably when it lands, right?
1: Um well not always. It depends on the uh, how big it is. Like my they actually gave me my winning cow chip back to keep.
3: Yeah. Where is it? What what have you done with
0: it?
1: It's in my garage, but me and my family have been joking around like saying like how they put uh, signed baseballs in little <laughs> glass containers, and we could put the cow chip in there and keep it in the
3: house. but Probably airtight. Yeah, I think.
1: <laughs> for sure.
3: Airtight, yeah. All right. Well, congratulations, Kevin. It's great to talk to you. Yeah,
1: thank you. Hey, guys. So what's the deal with those IKEA product names like Gewigner and Skrunglerk? Are those really Swedish words, or are the Swedes just messing with us? Mike Castro, Red Bank, New Jersey. Thanks a lot. Bye.
3: That's certainly something we can help with. Janice Simonson from IKEA is on the line with us now. So, Janice, how does this work?
0: Well, it has been our tradition ever since we've had IKEA to name each and every product. But there, there is a rhyme and reason to some of, uh, to some of the naming.
2: Yeah, I was wondering. So, like, you know, I think product I think about is like the Billy bookcase. Yeah, and I was um, wondering, if, does Billy mean bookcase?
0: No, Billy. I mean, it's just a, a product name, All and right. it's a, a man's name. That particular one. Um, that one we've been using since seventy-eight.
3: So, is there an actual Billy, a person that is Billy?
0: Not Billy per se. It is a generic male's name. Um. And by the category, bookcases tend to be either Scandinavian boys' names or professions.
2: So all the all the names that I see on bookcases uh, are
3: are jobs or boys' names.
0: Exactly, Scandinavian boys' names. Oh,
3: wow. so okay. So bookcases are male. Is right. there a traditionally female piece of furniture?
0: Um, we do have. Uh, fabrics and curtains are Scandinavian girls' names.
2: So everything is categorized. So, like, what is, say, a
1: couch?
0: Those are named places, but Swedish name places. So sofas, armchairs, chairs, dining tables, that assortment of furniture is named after Swedish places, like cities or towns, um, and beds, wardrobes, and hallway furniture are Norwegian name places.
3: So my Poang chair, or chairs that I had, because I had many of them, those were named after a place called Poang?
0: Yes. Um and I can't tell you if it's a town or a province or a city but uh it is a place. And and it's the funniest thing is you're traveling in Sweden, you'll drive along and all of a sudden you'll you'll see a town named after what you've only known as a product name. So
3: Yeah. Have you ever heard of tourists who make pilgrimages to Sweden and then drive around to these towns visiting their furniture names?
0: You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me.
3: Can we, um, do you have the, the sort of
2: category list in front of you? Can you just sure. can, can you just run that down for us? Okay. That'd be great.
0: Here's how they're allocated. The bathroom articles are names of Swedish lakes, waters, and riverways, understandably. That, yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Sure.
0: Um, our lighting is named after measurement units, seasons, months, days, shipping and nautical terms. So huh. things that are mostly measurable or numeric seem to be, for whatever reason, are lighting. Bed textiles are flowers and plants. Kitchen accessories are uh, fishes, mushrooms, and other damp descriptive words. Sometimes it relates to their function, too.
3: Wait, damp descriptive words? Well,
0: I, I'm, I'm being I'm a little swinglish here. Um, fishes, <laughs> just, mushrooms.
2: I, wait, is swinglish, is that something you guys really uh, talk about around IKEA?
0: There, there's a lot of times that we have to, um, we get things and we have to kind of translate a little bit, <laughs> um, and, and it's like anything that's adapted from a native language, you look at the, you look at a phrase and you know that it's not really what they have meant to say, and, and you have to kind of do a, a general translation to it.
3: So Janice, so this question came from Mike, and what we can say, I don't, There are there any Swedish products named Mike?
0: I think there was, and I can get back on you, to you and let you know that.
3: Probably a desk or a bookcase?
0: It would, yes, it would have been if it was a name, if it was a boy's name.
3: All right, so maybe that's what we'll tell Mike. If nothing else, he can be a bookcase or a desk at Ikea. That's,
0: that's something to, uh,
3: to strive for, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much. Thank you. We got a question from a listener known as Star Wars 34. When is Richard Hammond's birthday? That's Richard Hammond from Top Gear. And it's not really a how-to question. Writing
2: us is not the easiest way to get it answered. There are
3: faster ways to get this kind of trivia. But still,
2: we're here for you. We're always here for you.
3: So, Richard, when is your birthday? That's, a, that's an interesting question, isn't it? That's a real poser. Yeah. <sighs> well, um,
1: obviously I was very, very, very young at the time, but it was <laughs> the 19th of December, 1969. Well,
4: there
1: so you go. The year, it's the year Man Walked on the Moon. Neil Armstrong, of course, passed recently. Um, I did get to meet him but um, I didn't get to see him walking on the moon because it was just before I was born. Yeah. But the subject of my birthday is the subject of endless arguments on Top Gear because the other two, for some reason, have always assumed that I lie and that I'm older. So whatever age I say I, I am, they always add two or three or five years because they're basically old and broken and they're bitter <laughs> that I'm sort of 10 years younger than them. But I am. It's a fact.
2: Richard, thank you so much for for solving this mystery for
3: us.
4: Uh, it's pleasure. Well, it wasn't really a mystery. It's a, it's a sort of it's a fact.
3: All right. Take care, Richard. See you. You can see Richard Hammond in the second season of Richard Hammond's Crash Course premiering on BBC America Monday, October fifteenth. That does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian?
2: I I learned that every tool in your kitchen should have a double life.
3: Yeah. Late at night, you walk into the kitchen, and there you see your blender. Kind of like,
2: yeah, what
3: are you doing?
2: Why? No, I was just blending.
3: I, I live here. Shouldn't you be in bed? Yeah.
2: Now that I think about it,
3: I think I think my ladle uh, is in the CIA. I learned that bookcases are male at IKEA. In the world of IKEA, that a bookcase is a boy.
2: It's good that in Sweden they go that way. That they give furniture the names of you know boys and girls rather than giving boys and girls the name of furniture
3: oh that would be weird yeah
2: hey oh hey desk go to your room Chase lounge the name i would want least is probably stool
3: i can yeah i can see that yeah
2: maybe bench you know short for benjamin how to do
3: everything is produced by blythe hega with technical direction from lorna white our intern this week is we still don't have an intern So our intern this week is Hannah from last week. Hannah, you just keep proving yourself week after week. Well done, Hannah. Thank you. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org.
2: Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Benjamin. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. So yeah, you want want an easy way to get the corn off of the cob. Uh, Just so happens Ben Mims from... (laughs) (laughs)
3: The corn off of the <laughs> cob. <laughs> it's like, why did you make it sound like that? Hmm. Oh, sorry.
2: Um, yeah. So. So yeah, you want an easy way to get the corn off of the cob. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So you want a. So you want an easy way to get the corn off of the. <laughs> You got any tips here, Blythe? Anything? Okay. (laughs) Okay, hold on a sec. Let me try one more time. Yep. Um so yeah. So you want you want an easy way to get the corn?